So open up your Bibles uh, with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 11. And please be patient with me as I read this lengthy scripture. Give us this day our daily bread. Looks like we'll be out of here in about 10 minutes. No, actually, let let me read verses uh, 9 through 15, and then I'll pray. Jesus is saying, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your good word. And thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. And we thank you, God, that you know that we have needs. I just pray that you help us see that our greatest need is you, Jesus. And and thank you that you have provided, that you make provision for us each and every day. I pray that you'll teach us powerfully today by your petition, by this prayer, the model prayer. And and I pray that it'll become a habit for us, that trusting you will not be some sense of, of something we have to remember out of, out of memory, out of rote memory um, to do. But God, I pray that we would see your grace bigger and bigger more and more each day. I pray that for those who are, who are praying and, and seeking and asking and knocking, God, that, that, Lord, that if they're doubting or if they think or feel that you haven't heard, God, that you would minister to them, that you would show them that you are enough, Jesus, that all we have is, is in you. So receive our thanks. Know and instruct us in your truth today. Seal it in our hearts and help us to see you through your son, Jesus, as our strength and as our all in all. In your mighty name we pray, amen, amen. So up until now, in this series on the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, we focused on some magnificent, magnificent themes. Our Father in heaven, the majesty, the creator of the universe, who's outside of this time and space dimension. Hallowed be your name. The chief responsibility of man, which is, which is to honor and exalt him before anything and anyone. Your kingdom come, your will be done. The kingly rule of God over over our lives, over history, over here and now, and over the future when Jesus will eventually set up his kingdom on earth. On earth as it is in heaven, the magnificent plans and purposes of God to become a reality here on earth. And this is across all peoples and all nations that will impact and affect all of the nations and the people groups waiting to see the kingdom of God here on earth. So everything up until this point in this prayer has been about God's kingdom up until this verse right here. And, and now, 
the petition shifts from the heavenly things over to the earthly things, from, from the macro down to the micro. And I just, I, I love the amazing contrast that, that, that it goes from the, the unimaginable things, from, from the heavens and the cosmos and this great majestic thing down to a very basic little simple piece of bread. From grandeur to intimate personal details of our lives. And so the, the petition moves from, from adoration to praise to submission. And then we get to the fourth petition here in, in the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. The petition begins with give. Give us. Give me. Now we can start asking. But why is it that when we pray, we, and especially for our material needs, that we feel selfish? I mean, you know, at this moment, there are something over 6 billion people in the world. There, there, there are earthquakes and natural disasters, tsunamis, uh, marriages and families that are falling apart. I mean, there's disease and, and strife all over the world. And, and, and here I, I'm praying for something that will probably disappear by the time that my head hits the pillow tonight. As a matter of fact, I probably wouldn't even remember it. So I think that if I were God, I would be like, listen, I got nations to deal with. I got a lot more issues to deal with than your petty little requests. And friends, th this is a great, great misconception. Or what happens when you pray for provision and it doesn't happen? I know um, there are many of you here today that are looking for a job. And you've been seeking and asking and praying, God, give me. And, and many of you even have been uh, those that are married wanting to have children, saying, God, please provide this. So, so what happens when you pray for a job or, or if you are looking to be married? a spouse, or children. And if you're praying for provision, what exactly is it that you need? N not what you want, but what is it exactly that you need? And, and whom do you rely on to get that need met? Do you, do you rely on your LinkedIn, you know, your, your connections, your professional network, or do you rely on your family? or maybe your family's connections, or maybe even your family's resources, or do you even rely on yourself, on your own resources, your talents and abilities to persuade and influence others? Now, I think if, if, um, if we asked anybody in here, uh, you know, whom do you rely on? We'll say, well, you know, yeah, of course, I rely on God. But not all of our actions demonstrate that. I mean, at work, uh, if I want a promotion, I'll work harder, and I'll earn my promotion. Or in life, if I want some clothes, I'll just go out and buy some. Or I want a Vespa, or um, you know, I want whatever it is, I'll just go out and get it. And even spiritually, we do this. We do this spiritually because if, if I want to become closer to God, well, then I'll just go to church, I'll read my Bible, and I'll do it. Now, I understand all of those things do draw you closer to God, but it's something that, that I do. You see, we look at provision through the perspective of self-sufficiency. Because self-sufficiency is very, very prevalent in our affluent 
culture today. Because our, I mean, our culture is immersed in influence, in affluence, excuse me. And affluence has a way of dulling our spiritual appetite. It has a profound way of desensitizing us to our greatest sense of need. So perhaps, perhaps that we need to learn through our affluence what a profound petition this is. So what I want to examine today in this brief verse, not a lot of words here, are three things. The source, the amount, and the purpose of our provision. The source, the amount, and the purpose of our provision. So let's begin by looking at the source. Now, bread is a, is a, it's a simple thing. I mean, it's, it's the most basic of all human needs. And we can live without a lot of things. I mean, we can live without tangible things like, like money uh, or, or shelter and uh, even some intangible things like our freedom or even health we can, we can do without. But no one, no one can survive without food. And if you're anything like me, I mean, we spend a significant amount of time just thinking about food, preparing food, obtaining it and consuming it. And I told you guys last week, you know, when the sermon usually starts, I'm in the back by the coffee bar eating snacks. I mean, I I need some fuel in this body. So daily food is our basic need. It's an absolute necessity, and God provides us with it. Now, the idea of spending so much time, um, you know, obtaining food and consuming food, I think about that show, uh, Man vs. Wild, and I don't know if any of you guys have seen it, but... But the guy is an outdoor specialist. I mean, he's, he's an expert survivalist, and he's trained uh, by the special forces uh, to go in, into the most remote places in the jungle. And he's just dropped off there, and he's told to get to another point. And, and I mean, it's, it's just, that's what he does. And, you know, the first thing that this guy does is that he starts going and searching for food. That's exactly what he does. Because what nature tells us is that, that food isn't for the taking. You know, it's not just for the taking. It's not just there. I mean, it's an arduous task to do. So he ends up eating herbs and snakes and grubs and all these disgusting things. I mean, worms and rodents. It's, I, I can't watch the show. I mean, it just it ruins me. But, but we don't have to search for food. We don't, we don't do that. I mean, I just go to my cabinet. You go to your cupboard or Trader Joe's or Rainbow Grocery, I mean, or the, or the farmer's market. You see, we're spoiled and we forget. And that's a great reminder for us because we're so spoiled. It's out of our abundance. It's out of our wealth. That's the perspective and that's the affluence that we see. But it is an arduous process. There's seeding involved. There's watering cultivating, harvesting, processing, cooking, baking, I mean, selling it to you. So all of our food comes from the ground. And to get food, we need to look down, so to speak. But, but really, we first need to look up to God. James, uh, the brother of Jesus, uh, said this, that, that 
Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. But, but why bread? I mean, what is it about bread? And, and why does Jesus say? Here, here's the deal. Jesus uses bread as a theme that runs through everything in life from beginning to end. Like with the feeding of the 5,000. It's within that context that Jesus speaks of himself as being the bread of life, the bread that comes from heaven. So in John chapter 6, uh, the disciples become aware that uh, the, there, there's a problem. And the problem is this, is that they're, they're in this place with no resources. They don't have any food. And, and so they come to Jesus. And Jesus' response to them when they say they're hungry is you feed them. You feed them. I, I would be like, whoa, wait a minute. Wait, what do you want me to do about it? I can't, I can't do anything. There's, there's what, what can I possibly do? But then Jesus has compassion on them. He goes ahead, he tells them, he says, okay, just gather everybody up, break them into groups, have them sit down, and then he provides for every single one of them. Feeds over 5,000, just with a, with, a, with a little loaf and some fish. And I think that tells us a lot about God. First, it tells us that he's compassionate about the needs of his people. He's compassionate about my needs and your needs. And, and the second thing that it tells us about God is that he expects us to be a part of that process. Just as he told them, he said, look, have them sit down, come back over here, I'm going to multiply this, and then you take and you distribute. So God wants us to be a part of that process. So you see, every day we are to come to the Father for the necessities of life. Because life itself, as well as, I mean, it's, it's the nitty gritty. I mean, that's really what we're talking about here. Life, I mean, is, is the, the jobs, the finance, the food, um, all are gifts from God. And, and what this says is that, I mean, God is not just concerned about our, our eternal and our, our, uh, the, the spiritual things, but he's actually concerned as well about the minutia of life, the very basic physical things that we need to get by day to day. So we don't need to take something simple like like a, a, a crust of bread for granted. And we begin to build faith and trust by coming to the Father day by day by day. And I, I know, I mean, I find it hard to believe that, that God cares about some of these things because I, I think that they're just, that they're, they're petty. But he does. He does. And he cares about your exam he cares about what's going on at, uh, in your department at work. He cares about your business. He cares about your finances. He cares about your relationship struggles. He cares about it all. So we need to, to, to be careful and steer clear of the misunderstanding that we're not supposed to bother God about these things, like what we wear or what we eat or what we drink. That we think that we shouldn't be wasting God's our time or God's time, uh, and that we should be spending uh, more time praying about things like th that matter. 
You know, I, this movie with, uh, what was it, uh, Jim Carrey and um, the one with Morgan Freeman. Um, the one where he was, what was it? Bruce Almighty, thank you, that was the name, it, was, it, it just escaped me. So with Bruce Almighty, you know, there's that scene where Jim Carrey comes before God and God is portrayed as Morgan Freeman, scary thought, but anyway, um, and, and so then he prays uh, this prayer, he's like, you pray, Bruce, and so uh, Bruce is like, um, I pray for world peace and hunger and, you know, all this stuff, and, he, and he's like, how was that? And he was like, it was good if you want to be Miss America, you know, or like a beauty pageant prayer. I mean, and again, those things, so God just wants you to be real, and he cares about those things. So the idea of bread as provision goes way beyond our need for food. All of our needs in life are denominated by, by the words daily bread. And, I mean, we even use the very expression ourselves. Who's the breadwinner? What are we saying? The one who is the means, the instrument by which, by which money or provision is made to sustain the individual or the family. And, and we talk about this in the one who provides the rent, the, 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 the groceries, the bills, whatever. It's all under that umbrella of the work of the breadwinner. So it's the same concept. Give us this day our daily bread, our bread of subsistence, our needed bread, our bread sufficient for daily need. That's the idea. But rather than looking at ourselves as the breadwinner, we really need to be looking at the bread giver. This prayer encourages us to be needy, friends, to, to be constant and dependent. And, and I have to understand my neediness. You have to understand your neediness. Because praying this prayer gives God his rightful place in the universe as the source. So now, let's look at the amount. And, you know, it's really easy in our uh, affluent culture to, um, to assume that we're always going to have our needs provided for, that we're always going to have bread that we're always going to have a, you know, a home over our head. And it, and it just takes, I mean, my wife and I, Erica, we were in the, the Safeway right on the corner of 17th and the Castro. We went to go get blueberries. There were no blueberries around. I was like, somebody's getting fired today. I mean, there, there's got to be a problem here. But, you know, distribution problem. I mean, that's, that's where my, the, my first, my thoughts go. But, you know, so, so if there's not bread or if there's not a house, well, then something is, one, seriously wrong, and two, someone's to blame. Someone's going to blame. Someone's to blame. So we live in a highly materialistic society. And, and even this country, I mean, we're broke as a country. Why? Why is that? Is it because of, you know, cars and homes and, you know, that, that are bigger and better than our parents had? Or... Uh, you know, here in San Francisco, you've got all types of technology and gadgets and cool things. I mean, every time I walk by the Apple store, I'm like, Apple. You know, I, it's like, I, I love it. I mean, or clothes or vacations or other types of luxuries. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not, you know, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. I mean, it, it's, it's actually, you know, God, it's God's good pleasure to give us those things. And, it, and it's God that, that 
you know, it's, it's a sign of prosperity, as a matter of fact, for God's blessing on his people, because God takes pleasure in blessing us. But, but is this changing the way that we pray? I mean, with more bigger and more better, how does that fit in with the prayer, give us this day our daily bread? Does your level of contentment with the daily bread remain the same? Or, or have you become spoiled and ask, God, would, would you give me a little jam on the toast too? When you go to God, do you require more than you should? Or even, or even say, give me, demand more? You know, there's James, uh, the brother of, of Jesus again, he, he, he gets it right here. I mean, he, note that this prayer makes requests for our needs and not our greed. James says this. He says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Spend it on your passions. So the question remains, I mean, how much should I ask for? That's what we kind of all want to know. How much should we ask for? And I think this, this guy, his name is Agur, the son of Jacob. I thought my name, Tarek, was difficult. But uh, this dude, this son, uh, Agur, he was uh, in Proverbs. Uh, he gets it right in Proverbs chapter 30. He petitioned God and asked for neither poverty, which would lead him to steal, or, or riches. He says this. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. That's the heart that prays this prayer. This is a model petition with a great sweep of of needs in view. In essence, what Proverbs is saying here is that there are dangers on both ends. There's dangers in, in, in poverty, and then there's dangers also in affluence, or, or you know, with, with, with having too much. So you could get your petition answered, and you become comfortable and rich, and there's a great danger in that. You forget the Lord, and you forget everything that he's done and given you. Now, we all face the possibility of God giving us too much. But again, Agur seemed to get it right. He was looking to God every single day. He was coming to God every day and, and saw, you know, keep in mind, I mean, he, he saw, and there's the, the theologians debate whether Agur was really Solomon or, or who exactly he was. But, but Agur saw this, you know, he remembers and he saw what happened to his very own people. Prosperity and wealth went to their heads. They got fat and spiritually lazy and forgot the God who gave them the land and the cattle, the homes, the fields, their freedom, their peace, their prosperity. And what did the people do? They began to withhold their offerings. And when they brought their offerings, they didn't bring their best. 
So, so what did God do? And he said that he was going to do this. If they don't turn and repent, he was going to take away their land, take away the cattle, take away the fields, take away all of these things, take away their grain, take away their sons and daughters, and, and he removed them from, from the presence of the land. So God would take and remove them from the land, and then he places them in captivity. He places, God places them in captivity, his people. Why? To make their lives miserable? No. Rather, to cause them to look up to God again as the source, as the one, as the provider. To cry out to God in the midst of their captivity and their misery. Because, listen, God wants to restore us he wants to restore our sense of dependency on him just like he did with his people. So we're never to presume upon the Father's goodness. We're to come day by day by day. And, you know, at the end of this chapter uh, in Matthew, Jesus says, you know, in Matthew 6.34, the last part of that scripture is sufficient for, uh, today, for the day is its own trouble. So we're asking God to give us what is sufficient for the moment, sufficient for the day. Now let's consider, um, let's consider the manna, the manna in Exodus uh, 16. Remember, as God brought the Hebrews out of Egypt, moving them into the promised land, had they been obedient to God, he would have, they would have crossed into the promised land and then they would have been in the, you know, they would have been sitting pretty, but they were disobedient instead. And so they wander in the desert for 40 years. There's like a million, or who knows, there's like a million to three million. The point is, there were a lot of people. So here the context is Moses is, is crying out to God, you know, in the desert. And he's probably like, where am I going to get food for all of these people? I mean, can you imagine what, what he must have felt like when everyone started becoming hungry? Now, if any of you guys, I, when I start becoming hungry, my wife knows. She's got like a, you know, a little bar like ready, you know, because I start acting up. I start getting a little bit irritated. She's like, bam, here, protein bar. And I'm like, and I'm, I'm okay. I mean, literally like that. It's like, you know, mine. So, but, but. So Moses cries out to God, and, and God tells Moses, he says this. He says, I'm going to feed them with the bread from heaven. But they can only take enough for a one-day supply. Now, uh, on the Sabbath, they can go and take two-day supply. So what happens? Sure enough, on the ground the next day, they wake up, they go out, and here's this bread from heaven, this manna is on the ground. And, and they're like, what is it? And that's what manna is. It's like, what is it? First time I tried panna cotta, I was like, oh my gosh, what is it? I was like, it's manna. It's so good. Um, but, but, but this manna is, you know, this bread from heaven was there just like God had said. But our tendency is to hoard the bread. Now, if I were faced with that situation, I mean, and I was there wandering in the desert, and there this bread from heaven came, I, I, I mean, I'd go out there. I, I'd be heralding you guys to do the same probably. I'd be like, listen, if we can get 
four days worth of this bread, bring it back, we don't, then we can rest for three days. That sounds good to you, right? Yeah, okay. But, you know, that's how we think, that's how you think, I think, and, and that's exactly what the Hebrews did. I mean, they, they went out, gathered more than, I mean, if they had a family for four, you grab for four. If you had a family of three, grab for three. Two, two, one, one. But they grabbed, they hoarded it. And so what happened? The manna would rot. It wouldn't keep. You see, there's something in our fallen human nature that we presume, and then we expect it. We expect it. But God said, you know, you get a one-day supply, except on the Sabbath, because it would affirm daily dependence, daily dependence on needing to come to God every day. There's new manna for a new day. We are to be satisfied with having enough for each day to live within the comforts of today. Now, I think that there's a great passage that, um, that gives us really uh, the, the, the right perspective and really good perspective about what our thinking and what our attitudes should be. And it's in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Now, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. What Timothy is saying is that their contentment is great gain with whatever God is pleased to give us, or maybe even withhold from us. And we're not to despise the good things that God gives us. I mean, a lot of us think that maybe, maybe if, if God has blessed you with wealth, that it's like, oh, it's a curse. I mean, unless you ask a lottery winner, maybe. Um, but, but not only that, but I'm going to act wisely and do what I can do to sustain things. Because God gives us these riches, and, you know, or he richly gives us things to give us so that we could use them as wise, wise stewards to become content with the necessities of each day. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. So I pray that, that really that we as a church, that you, that, that we would practice this, that we would be satisfied with enough. And now, the purpose of our provision. The purpose. Note that there is, there is solidarity in this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. There's a corporate element of, of welfare in view here. Because there's nothing about me or my. It, I mean, it's all about us and our. That's what it's all about. So whenever we break bread together, it's our bread. Remember, somebody prepared the ground. Somebody put and planted the seed. Somebody nurtured it and waited and then harvested it took it and delivered it, mixed it together, baked it, packaged it, drove it, drove it to where you, go, you come and I come and buy it. And then someone even sells it to you. So we, in fact, never, we never eat bread alone. What we're talking about here is the reality of the community of life. 
we're eating with the greater community of the world here. So our bread is not only to be eaten alone, but it should never be hoarded. Because bread is a gift from God. And, and like any gift of God, it, it rots if we don't share it, just like the manna. You see, when we're in great need, we learn to depend on God. When we're in need, we learn to depend on God. One of the great privileges in life, and I say it's a privilege, bear with me here, is to go through hardship, to be in need, because it leads us back to God. Now, I'm not pushing for, for poverty or anything like that, but, but maybe, maybe this is one of the reasons why God has given you and me so much to be generous with others, to, to, to make a sacrifice for others so that we will also be dependent on him. There was a, a couple that I, we were eating with and um, I was asking them, they have four kids and I was asking them you know, about raising their kids and how they were providing the education for them and, and they uh, shared with me, they said, well, um, uh, they go to private school. And I was like, wait, you guys make like 25 bucks. I mean, you know, they don't make anything. How is that possible? They said, well, um, someone had, uh, one of our friends had called and petitioned and asked someone, a family with great resources and great wealth, and said, will you provide for this family so that, they, so that their one child could go to, to school? And so they said, okay, we will. And so they provided all the way through grade school. And then it came to a point when their own children were, it was time to go to college. And they said, okay, wait, we, can, we need to provide for our own kids. And she said, no. She said, you, you maintain your commitment. And not only that, you take on another child because the, their, their next child was ready to go through. And so even still to this day, that family is still providing for them. And you know, they say that they've been blessed beyond belief. So it's going through that hardship, giving sacrificially to other people outside of our families in need. So you see, and, and, and also this involves more than just than, than food and money and tuition and all these other things, even health because it applies to our health as well. Who appreciates health more? Someone who is sick or someone who was recently sick and now is healthy? You see, you can apply that across the board. It's always gonna be the person who was sick and is now healthy, they appreciate their health so much more because they've recovered, because they've seen. Do you see how God even uses things like illness to draw us closer to him? And, and what, what do they always say? If the person's been faithful in going to the Lord, they always say that that illness drew us closer to God, that as a family it knit us together, that that hardship brought my wife and I closer together. So God is beckoning us to come to him. For when we come to the end of our resources, that's when we're like, you know what, God, I need you. I need you. We don't live independently from God, although we act as if we do. And you know, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Lloyd he, um, he was actually, he studied, he was a great theologian, but he, he studied and practiced, he was trained in medicine, actually, uh, before he became a theologian. He has this great quote. Um, he says, I, I love this quote, he says, the supreme folly of today's world is the foolishness of the 20th century. 
because we think that we have acquired some of the ways that God works and think that we know how things work through science and medicine. We think that we don't need God anymore and that we live independently of him. Now, I know that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is dead and he he was in the 20th century. I know that we're in the 21st century, but I think that that still applies to us today because, friends, we're, we're not autonomous beings. And our sin, my sin, your sin, it binds us. It, it binds us and makes us think that we're independent, just like what Adam and Eve did. I mean, they went, they, they sinned, they, they went and did something on their own to try and cover themselves, and God said no. He said, let me, let me provide the sacrifice for you. So what it does is it desensitizes our hearts and minds, making us think that we're independent of him. But finally, I think that the the greatest and most important part of the purpose of our provision is this. Now listen, don't, don't miss this. Praying, give us this day our daily bread, is that we would know the presence of God in our lives. That we would know the presence of God in our lives. You see, Jesus takes a mundane, he takes the most mundane things of life, like a simple piece of bread. I mean, you could, you could, bring, a, you could bring it here in a bag. God takes the most mundane, ordinary things, and he meets us in those mundane, ordinary things in life. He takes something mundane, and then he makes it sacred. And we have a great picture of this in communion. We take, we take a little piece of broken bread, his body, and, and, then, and then we dip it in a cup, his blood. And then we remember what Christ did for us. He shed his blood, he gave his body up for us so that we could be with him forever. And then we take this broken little cracker dipped in this juice that symbolizes those things and we, we take and we eat because he wants to be a part of us. He wants to provide. He wants to come. And, and, and that's, what, that's what the gospel does. That's what it, it does. It changes us from the inside out. Have you been, have you been working and worrying about things that aren't really necessary? Or, or maybe you've been so concerned with getting what you want as opposed to what you need? Or, or you've been in the midst of, of a time of great need and forgotten that God wants to be there with you? Now, probably none of us will go um, to bed here hungry tonight. And, or, or even wondering if there's going to be a piece of bread, a, a crust of bread or a slice of bread tomorrow. But how many of us will go to bed hungry tonight? 
hungry for Christ because we've not come to the living bread. Have you fed upon Christ? Have you, have you come to him? He's the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. And he said it. He said it. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for giving us the Lord's prayer, the model prayer. God, I pray that you would make us men and women of prayer so that we can become more and more like you, Jesus. And we thank you that every good and perfect gift is from you. Forgive us, God, for when, when we take your good gifts for granted, we would, we would have nothing apart from your kindness. And above all, we thank you. Thank you for sending us Jesus to reconcile us to you, to you God, by his, by his sacrifice, by his shed blood, by his broken body. May we live out our days in thankfulness to you.